This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host, Jerry and Tracy Pauly, and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 123 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. My name's Jerry, and I'm with... What? Me, you're with me. I know, but you're just looking at me like I was going to say something wrong or something. Never. Okay. Hi guys. Well, it's been a fun day. We've been Christmas shopping. We have. And, and we realized we didn't have that much stuff to buy when we got out because Tracy's been nonstop Christmas shopping for the past seven or eight months. <laughs> we still got some to go. <laughs> but that's all good. All right. So let's talk about a couple of cool things this week. Thanks to Jim Harold. He oh, had gosh, me, yes. He had me on the... Uh, what are you so excited about? You wouldn't on there. I know. I was kind of jealous, actually. <laughs> I wish I was. <laughs> But he had me on the uh, the Paranormal Podcast, which is um, kind of like the king of paranormal yeah, shows. Yeah, it's quite been an around, honor for been you. Been around forever, and yeah, it was it was quite an honor to say the least. And we got to do a video. It was the first time he'd ever done a live video of the taping. Uh huh. So it was pretty cool. Of course, I had nothing but technical difficulties on yeah, my end. Because that's which, how we roll. That's just so exactly what we do. <laughs> we have no clue what we're doing on this end, so that happens. It all worked out though, and it was great. It was. Uh, as usual, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you for all your hard work. Amen. You guys take care of yourselves and be safe out there during the holidays. I know it's tough for you guys being away from your family, but we all got you. We love you and praying for you guys. So take care. Always a situation that got brought up uh, again yeah. on our uh, group page today <clears throat> that... It's a tough time for a lot of people, especially if they suffer with depression. It's the, that time, something about this time of the year that just really uh, brings people down if they already have an issue uh, mm-hmm. with depression. And we just want you to kind of think about if you've got somebody in your life that you know might struggle a little bit and reach out to them. Yeah, absolutely. They, uh, they can use it a little more now. And I know uh, one of our uh listeners posted today that they just recently lost somebody to suicide unfortunately yeah and uh, so we just want you to know that if you if you are listening and maybe you're keeping this stuff concealed that most people wouldn't even know you've got uh, uh, depression issues that if you want to just reach out to us just to kind of keep it concealed because you know everybody some some people just feel like that they like it's some kind of a sign of weakness or something to tell people that you're struggling with something, and it's not. It's not a sign of weakness. God, it's, we all go through it. Yeah, every we day. every every one of us go through it. Some people just get hit a little harder than others, and those people need a little extra helping hand. And uh, we don't mind being that helping hand. People in a group don't mind it. And if you just want to reach out to a total strangers and feel better at that, in the United States, one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five suicide hotline. And if you're more of a texter, seven four one seven four one. Absolutely, guys. Please don't be afraid to do that, okay? We love you guys so much, and 
even if you just got a vent or whatever, just please give us give us a call. We're here for you. You'd be surprised what just writing out a, a message uh, in Messenger, how it will make you feel better, just to get something off your chest. And we get plenty of people who do that that we don't even have, you know, phone conversations with that they'll just send us a message and we'll respond back and they just say that it feels better just to get it off their chest mm -hmm. so we're here the group's there these numbers are there um family members that you probably wouldn't even realize just call somebody that you're close with and say hey you got a few minutes to just listen and you'll be surprised at the results you get yeah we love ya. okay before we get into the story tonight i want to talk about a couple of uh um of the live events that we've got to finalize now. We didn't talk about this last week's show, which I probably should have, because I think it actually got finalized before then. But we have a Louisville show that is April 6th. It's a Saturday. Uh, you guys who came to the, the show last year, or actually it was this year still, but if you came to the one in April, we went immediately for a tour of Waverly Hills. We're going to do the same thing this year. The show is going to be in the exact same spot that it was, the Roosters um, up on Dixie Highway. But... A little different cast of characters this time. This year, the guys from Ohio are going to come down. That's awesome. We've got some Louisville peeps, so the new show that you might have heard on our Halloween episode. It's We Drink and We Know Things. These guys are husband-wife team. They're just getting started. Dude, I love the title of that. And I just yeah, love it. It's a cool title. They are a little closer to the Ohio-style show than, what, than, than our style show. Mm -hmm. And so I figured with Brohio and them, uh, what better to top it off than having Bishop James Long, an exorcist and father in the house. <laughs> he, he may be looking at some of those Brohio guys there and saying, hey, right. brother, let me uh, help you out here. Those of you who have, who have never heard of Bishop James Long, he isn't a, a fully ordained exorcist. He's been on several of the of the uh, shows, the ghost hunting type shows. Mm -hmm. He's been on the History Channel talking about hell. This guy is, puts on a demonstration, I guess I should say more of a presentation, that you will not believe on demonic possession. And we've mm -hmm. tried to get him on the show a couple of times, and he was um, also in charge of like an emergency chaplain. Mm -hmm. So every time, the two times we had him scheduled, there was something that happened mm -hmm. where somebody needed him to come mm -hmm. out and administer last rites yeah. or something like that. Uh, but we've got all that, um, the schedule and stuff's worked out because he's, he's in a little different position now than he was back then. But So to make it clear, here's what we're going to do. April 6th, it's going to be a 3 o'clock show in the afternoon because we're going to go to Waverly afterwards. But you're going to have We Drink and We Know Things, the Ohio. Bishop James Long giving an exorcism, uh, basically a demonstration. This guy's got tapes and everything mm -hmm. of, of ex exorcism from the past. I know. You guys are going to freak out for sure. And then, of course, we're going to be there. You have to get your tickets um, for Waverly through Waverly. So it's going to be, uh, um, you know, 50, I think it's $17 for the show that gets you all that. But then your tickets to Waverly will be $25. Mm -hmm. They will not go on sale till the first of the year. January 1st, you can get those. Oh, cool. But April 6th, we're going to do the 7.30 tour. We're not Gosh. doing two not doing two tours this year. <laughs> that 7.30 and 9.30 killed us last yeah. year. Oh, That's my a gosh. lot of walking. It was a lot of walking for us old bogeys. So the show, the live show, there is only room for 55 seats. That's it. 
So, and we already sold some tickets already. I know, so isn't it, it great? It'll make a good, pre- you know, nothing says Christmas like a good exorcism. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, anyway, you got that. Obviously, we've got the Bobby Mackey deal uh, still available. Go to our website and go to live uh, live shows, and all these tickets are available mm-hmm. there. Bobby Mackey's, by the way, there's 50 seats, and 17 are already sold. That's crazy. Atchison, Kansas. Sally Hawks. Us, Justin Remo. That's going to be awesome. And we've already sold, I think, 15 of the 60 tickets to that. I know. So, That's so yeah. great. You these guys things, are awesome. These things are going crazy. Houston is up, and we've already sold six or seven tickets for Houston. All these shows are like six, seven months away. Well, the Louisville show is only four months away, right, so it's right. really not that far. So, anyways. We love you guys so much and appreciate you, and we cannot, I cannot stress it enough how excited we are to meet all of you guys. That's, like I said before, that's the best part of this whole thing, and then you just get the cool stuff to go with it. So. Absolutely. All right. So, this week's show, we're going to talk about ESP. So, all of you know that. ESPN? You know. <laughs> Remember that one girl said yeah. that one time? So, and when I say ESP, obviously, we're not talking about the extra sensory perception. Perception. Yes. I almost said precipitation. (laughs) We're talking about the big one, Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia. And we're going to tell you everything and anything there is to know about Eastern State Penitentiary. And then we have a special guest that's going to come on. And tell you a little bit about a, a, a different aspect of mm-hmm. it that we don't really get into on the show. Miss Dina Marie from Twisted Philly. Because awesome. how can we do a Philadelphia story without bringing her on Oh, you just it? can. It's not right. And we've not been to Eastern State. And she has. Yes. She's been a lot of great places. So. Love right, you, uh, Dina. Are we ready? We're ready, hon. Let's go. So tonight we're going to talk about the country's first official penitentiary. Now, there actually was a, another jail at this time. In 1776, Walnut Street Jail was there, and it lasted all the way through, like, 1790. So it was another, mm-hmm. I guess, a jail. Yeah. But the term penitentiary actually kind of kicked off with Eastern State. So it's known for being the most expensive and largest public structure when it opened its doors to prisoners in 1829 in Philadelphia. We are, of course, talking about Eastern State Penitentiary, this is one of the big ones out there. This is one that everybody always says, hey, when are you going to do? When are you going to do? And it's always been done mm-hmm. by a thousand people. Yeah. And so you always kind of think, well, what can I add to it? Mm-hmm. And I don't know that we really added anything to it. Mm-hmm. It's going to be probably a little different than some of the stories on it. But it's just such a well-known story. We uh, It took a while to be able to try to find a way to put a little bit of a different spin on it. So. Okay. So let's learn a little bit about Eastern States. First of all, it's got a horrible past, filled with torture and abuse, and as we know, that creates the perfect hotbed for paranormal activity. So let's learn about the actual history of what went on here. First of all, the idea for the prison initially came from a meeting in Ben Franklin's living room in 1787 wow, in Philadelphia. Wow, very cool. So Ben had a pamphlet at this meeting, so mm-hmm. he'd already worked all this up. It Apparently, a lot of thought went into this. He had a pamphlet at this meeting, and he called for the construction of a house of repentance. Now, in this house of repentance, he said solitude would work to soothe the minds of criminals. This would be much better than the inhumane public punishments that were going on at the time, like the gallows, the pillars, the stockades, or the whipping posts. In 1821, legislative uh, people in, in Penn approved the funds to 
to finally mm-hmm. make this thing start to happen. And in 1829, it came to fruition. So it was, you know, some 20, 30 years after the fact that this finally took place mm-hmm. uh, from the meeting. So, so in other words, he thought if they were in solitude, it would clear their minds and be better. Bingo. Okay, but... I mean, it could have the opposite effect, too, correct? Well, that's that you a, would just totally go crazy. That's exactly what they found out. So, like I said, keep in mind, he began the description saying solitude could work to soothe the mind of the criminals. This type of incarceration would become known as the Pennsylvania system or the separate system. And this was, uh, I guess it was all under control of the Quakers at the time, mm-hmm. who obviously were strict and very religious. Yes. So this was a prison where every prisoner would be in solitary confinement. So we know, like in today's prisons, that's the punishment. You get put in solitary confinement. In this prison, everybody was in solitary confinement. It was controversial at the time, but the design was used in over 300 prisons worldwide, regardless of the fact that it was controversial. You know, and it's so weird because you feel like almost you would rather be in solitary confinement just because nobody can mess with you. You, had work, you know what I'm saying? You didn't have to I don't think prisons were like that back, back in the day, then, though. I so, don't think it was a lot of don't drop the soap type stuff. Yeah, oh, well, yeah. That's true. Go ahead. Sorry. So we mentioned the fact that it was the most expensive building at the time. For all the bad that we're going to talk about in this show, there were a lot of good intentions that actually went on. For example, there was flushing toilets. Nice. Running water and central heating all of these were unheard of at the time. Oh, my these goodness. Were, I mean, these were luxuries. Mm-hmm. And this was at a, in a prison. Mm-hmm. So the intention was kind of good. So the inside used lots of uh, religion ideologies to instill the, um, I guess, the desire to repent mm-hmm. while you're in prison. The prison had church-like hallways. They had, I thought this was kind of interesting. They got really small doors on the cells. So the prisoners would have to bow to enter the room. Ah. And then there was this one single skylight right in the middle of the room. It was right in the roof. Each cell had one, and it was supposed to symbolize the eye of God. Wow. They really did think that out, didn't they? (laughs) So the outside wasn't built this way, though. They wanted the outside to look really dark and menacing, and it was like this, this dark, dreary castle. So it was more or less meant to when you were you know going by there. People was, thought they were in the dungeon. Well, like, they really... they just well, they wanted to to strike fear in the people. Like yes, oh my god, exactly. I, 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 I don't I don't ever want to end up there. Yeah, but in so, reality, it wasn't yeah. that bad inside. No, it was great on the inside as far as um, um, the luxuries and stuff that they would have. So trust me when I say they took solitary confinement very serious here. What was meant as a way to put the prisoners on the straight and narrow severely harmed their psychological state, just like you talked about. They weren't just kept isolated, though. The prison was designed to keep sound to a minimum. Double-doored cells helped to keep complete sound out. Their only escape from their tiny cells were one hour per day in the exercise yard. That was at the very rear of their room. Mm. So you had the little door to get into your room. Mm Mm-hmm. And then in the back of your little bitty room was a door that led to the outside that had these huge walls that separated. So you had like an outside that was probably about the same as what the size of your cell was. So you could go out there an hour a day. Mm. But 
as we're getting ready to learn, there was zero uh, communication with anybody there. Oh my gosh, you were just I cannot there. even imagine that. Like no jailers or anything? Well, the guards, the guards would um, fix the, like outside, when, when you went outside, they would mm-hmm. fix it so no two adjacent um, prisoners could have their yard time at the same time. So that way you couldn't even yell over the yard or over the wall. You mean one person somebody, was out there at a time? Yeah. So they would be out there, and if you had somebody on each side of you, they wouldn't be out there while you were out there. Oh, man. So they adjusted a the time like that. <laughs> God, that's crazy. Well, they didn't want them to talk over the wall to each other. Yeah. So they were also not allowed to see any of the other um, prisoners. When it was time for them to go throughout the prison, if they had to take them somewhere, like the infirmary or something mm-hmm, like that, mm-hmm. they would put a black mask over top of their face. So they had this black hood on. So when they were transported throughout the prison, they wouldn't see anybody else. And they also didn't have a clue where they were going. Like, they're, like their cell was all they really knew. Mm-hmm. And, and even in the cell was fixed, so it had like a little special door just to be able to get your meals. As is what I was going to yeah. say, is that they, they didn't even get to go eat no, their meals. No, their, their meals were there, and they had a special door that, that handled that. I wonder so if allowed to have salt. <laughs> I don't know if they were allowed to have salt. <laughs> you were also not permitted to speak. It's like being a monk in this place, for real. And this included making any type of sounds, whistling, nothing. So let's imagine you're in this tiny little cell, 23 hours a day, one hour in your small yard, and you have zero contact and zero speaking. Imagine how that would be. Yeah, that would drive you insane for sure. They had a Bible in their room, mm-hmm. which we'll talk, we'll talk about a little bit later. It comes up again, but they did have a Bible. So if they wanted to read, mm-hmm. guess what they were going to read? Yeah. All goes into that religion mm-hmm. ideology. So... Why the whole concept of the solitary confinement? Well, it was felt that, in this time anyway, that most of the crime occurred was a direct um, effect of the environment that people grew up on, mm-hmm. or, or grew up with, I guess I should say. So, you know, who you hung out with, were you poor, um, was it just a way of life? So they felt like, well, if, if that's true and that's the reason it's because the environment... They believed that the person, if they were confined and isolated uh, in such a manner, that they would pretty much eventually regret what they had done, and then they would also learn by their mistakes. That was the thought process. Yeah. Anyway. Obviously, we now know that didn't work like right. that. So let's talk a little bit. But the first warden was a gentleman by the name of Samuel Wood. And the very first prisoner was a burglar by the name of Charles Williams. He was an African-American farmer that could read, and that was a big deal, obviously, back then. His crime was stealing a watch that was valued at just over 20 bucks, a gold key and a gold seal. He got 24 months in prison for that. Dang on. But he was the first prisoner admitted. The prisoner prison cells there each had a toilet, a table, a bunk, and a Bible. So we touched on that just a second ago. So we mentioned that they took the solitary confinement and no communication rule very serious. Charles Dickens, the famous author, obviously, what's he well known for? What's the big one this time of year? A Christmas Carol. So 
thought I'd throw it in there. Well, thank you. <laughs> so he visited the prison in 1842. He said that the conditions were appalling. He said the system here is rigid, strict, and hopeless solitary confinement. I believe it in its effects is is to be cruel and wrong. So, okay, but what if they did make a noise? What if they did yell out or Oh, we're whistle? getting to that. Oh. We're getting to it. Okay. Hold on, baby bird. I'll feed you. <laughs> the truth of the matter was the solitary confinement drove plenty of men that were sane insane. I can Just, totally see that. I could see that, too. Some were so desperate for contact with others that they would whisper through the vents or tap on the pipes just to get some kind of communication, but getting caught had severe consequences. If you thought everyday life was cruel, wait until you hear what the punishments were for breaking the rules. First of all, you had the hole, or they also called it the Klondike. We've heard about the hole being in several places. This literally was a hole. And I think this is where the term the hole came from mm-hmm. overall. This was Eastern State's worst and smallest cell block. It was dug out underground of cell block 14. Here, you would be left for long periods of time with no light and very little food or water. Believe it or not, that was the punishment you hoped for. <laughs> what? You could get the mad chair. They call this the mad chair because it was not unusual for an inmate to go mad before his punishment ended. Prisoners would be strapped into a chair with leather straps. They were strapped so tightly that they wouldn't be able to make the slightest movements. Where does this come into problems? Well, they would be in the chair sometimes for days without food. They were strapped in so tight for so long that circulation would be completely cut off and often resulted in amputations. I almost feel sorry for these prisoners. That's, almost. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I do, but you know, they did the crime. Yeah, but, but you don't know. You, most of these crimes could have been just petty stuff, like petty the one, stuff. The, yeah, the like one a, dude stole a oh, yeah, watch, watch and some stuff. Yeah, I agree with that. That's craziness. And, and you could end up there just because you decided to try to talk to somebody. You just might say hi or whistle. That's what would land you. I would be you. in that hole twenty four seven. Well, I don't think you got the choice as to where you went. Oh. So if you didn't get the mad chair. You might have gotten the water bath. On the surface, that sounds good. This was really popular in the wintertime. So what would happen is they would dunk you in a a bath of ice-cold water, and then they would chain you to a wall outside. What do you think would happen in the wintertime in that situation? You're in your underwear. They dump you dunk you in in ice cold water Mm -hmm. and then chain you outside Mm -hmm. in Philadelphia Mm -hmm. in the wintertime. Well, I'm sure your heart rate would slow really fast, and your blood pressure would probably drop. And what do you think would happen to that water that was on you? Your wiener would fall off. And I don't know that your wiener would fall off. You probably would wish it would fall off at some points. But by most of the time, by morning, most of these prisoners had a thin layer of ice, ice on them, on yeah. their skin. Lord, they did not flay. <laughs> you could also get the straight jacket. We've all seen the straight jacket. Yeah. And you know the straight jacket was used differently here though, because in most parts, you were put in a straight jacket to keep you from harming yourself and harming anybody else. Here, you was bound until you passed out from lack of blood flow, which would leave you numb and black afterwards. 
Okay, these people are sickos. I saved the best for last. I think I would rather just go ahead and be shot and done with. So, last but not least, the worst punishment, and the most common, was also the most feared by the prisoners. The iron gag. (sighs) This was specifically designed to punish the inmates who refused to follow the communication policy. An iron collar was clamped onto the tongue of the prisoner, then it was chained to the wrist, then their wrist was strapped high above their back. So any movement at all by your hands, which you can imagine your arms are going to get tired just by being up, would rip and tear your tongue. Many of the inmates died from blood loss before their torment even ended. Oh my lord. It's important to point out that this was not the Quakers' way of doing stuff because I told you the Quakers were the ones that were running things. This is more or less the guards that kind of took things into their <gasps> own hands. What? They made up their own rules? I, don't th- I know that sounds crazy, but yeah, I think the guards kind of made up their own rules. Oh, they're heifers. How mean. I hope them people got a hold of one of those guards and did that same crap to him. It didn't. So that didn't happen. Oh, man. Hey, here's a fun fact for you. There was a dog named Pep who was imprisoned here for killing a cat. You're lying. I swear to God. Or it could have been a lion. I don't know. I think it was just a regular cat. Are you being serious? I'm being 100% serious. How can they do that? What they do to him? I don't want to know. I don't. Well, I think think it was a kitten, so he got nine consecutive life terms. Oh, see, you are making it up. No, I made that part up. But there really was a dog named Pep there for killing a cat. (laughs) God, this place is like the most horrible place I've ever heard of. So in 1913, this prison that was designed to hold 250 people, this is what it was designed for, 250 people, now had over 1,700 prisoners jammed into makeshift cells and was very, very little light because all we had was those, you know. How is that even possible? They were just jammed in there. So you can imagine what the living could do. I mean, there was no light and less ventilation. So it was horrible. At this point, they did away with the, um, kind of had like the, the prison was taken over and they did away with the Pennsylvania system that we were talking about. And the prison eventually closed in 1971, but it operated as a regular prison up until that time. And, you know, I don't understand. I understand that the fact that they say, okay, in 1913 when it was taken over and they did away with the, that system. But mm-hmm. that system was gone anyway, mm-hmm. because if you got 1,700 people crammed into a place that's designed for 250, nobody's in a jail by, I mean, a uh, cell by themselves anyway. I was going to say, they'd have to double them up. Yeah, a double, triple, quadruple. Wow. That's a horrible story. That is so horrible. During the time there, there's been some famous uh, prisoners come through. Al Capone, who we've talked about before on here, um, just like every other prison he was in, had, you know, all the lavish luxuries of, of being at home. He even had like a um, nice fancy lamps and stuff. He even had a cabinet radio in his cell. Isn't this was back something? in the 40s. Isn't that something? He had uh, Slick Willie. He was also known as Willie Sutton. He was one of the most famous bank robbers in history, and he was there for 11 years. He tried to escape in 1945 with a bunch of other prisoners, 
uh, through a 100-foot tunnel that I guess they had dug. He didn't get very far, though, before being caught, so so much for that. As you can imagine, with most of the abuse and the torture that went on here, over 100 people tried to escape. Most of them, though, were caught soon after and were given right back. Yeah. So from a paranormal standpoint, the building and uh, the relationship with torture and murder, suicide, disease pretty much ensues the likelihood that, that uh, there are some trapped spirits within the walls of Eastern State Penitentiary, oh, wouldn't you say? I would think so. The dark past, the extreme unexplainable occurrences make Eastern State one of the most haunted places in the world to most paranormal investigators. Mm-hmm. Scared? Yeah. So the stories, the stories that get told by strangers with very similar experiences give even more credibility to what goes on in this place as far as the paranormal encounters. Countless reports of disembodied voices, screams, whispers, footsteps have been reported and uh, by visitors that are unable to decide where these sounds or origins are coming from. And there's a lot of people with the exact same stories that don't know each other. Mm-hmm. So that just kind of makes Eastern States stand out mm-hmm. amongst some of the big guys. So all those people that... That died back in the day, I would come back and haunt them guards to the end of time. <laughs> well, one of the watchtowers has had several people claim to see that there's a, a shadow outline of what is believed to be a guard mm-hmm. up in it. And there's no electricity or anything up there. So oh. when you see somebody walking around Ooh, up there, yeah. it's, it's kind of unusual. You can also see a shadow figure in cell block four. That's not all that's in cell block four, though. There's been several reports of faces on the walls, and we're going to get into a little more of that coming up. Cell block 12 has an apparition of a prisoner as well as a cackling and whispers that go on there. The cell block has a dark figure that moves quickly and sporadically across walls. Mm. So let's do some specific stories, though, because I want to get into... uh, uh, some of these, but the the most famous one, obviously, is going to be from 1929 to 1930, Al Capone was here. So it was a short period of time. And we've told this story in detail. I think it was on a Patreon episode. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into as much detail as we did here, but I'll tell you enough of it. So if you missed that episode, you don't really miss anything. So, of course, Al Capone was here. And Capone was rumored to be the mastermind of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Mm-hmm. That was an incident where several mob rivals were, of his were killed, including James Clark. Now, Compone's visit to Eastern State Penitentiary wasn't all that great, even though he was surrounded by luxuries. And this is because he had sort of a roommate there that he really didn't want to have as a roommate. And that roommate, he felt like, was the ghost of James Clark. <laughs> so Capone was arrested on a weapons charge about seven months after the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Now, some people felt like that that this was kind of a setup mm-hmm. to kind of get him a chance to be able to lay low a little bit uh-huh. and not get taken out by the opposing mob yeah. mm-hmm. who knew that he was the mastermind. So this was a way of, even though he was in jail, kind of keeping him safe. Well, yeah. And you can probably see that. We, we posted pictures on our Facebook page, and I've got a picture of his cell, and it's going to blow your way when you see. <laughs> oh, gosh. My goodness. But anyways. So what would happen is is Al Capone would scream like in the middle of the night and the guards would all run down there. And he was like, Jimmy's in the cell. Oh, wow. And there would never be anybody in there. Yeah. But he was tormented by this. As a matter of fact, 
and like I said, we tell this in the other story, he was tormented on this by the rest of his life. I mean, he, he had psychics and mediums come in and try to exercise him away. He would have times in his residence in, in uh, Florida to where he would be screaming and, and his bodyguards and stuff would come in and there would be nobody there. And one of his bodyguards, and I don't remember the specifics, but one of his bodyguards even said that he thought that he saw the ghost of Jimmy because there was some stuff going on in the office and, and he was the only one in there. Capone wasn't there. And then... Um, there was like a shadow of a man, and he saw a man, and all this stuff, and so he's this this bodyguard was convinced that yeah the ghost well, of Jimmy really was conscience. Well, and that's what a lot of people said. Plus, you know, Capone had uh, um, you know his sexually transmitted disease that was causing his brain to deteriorate because he had syphilis. Oh, and, I know that. Yeah, that's what he. We've done the story on him, but you don't. Well, I forget. <laughs> you know me, but. That caused his brain to deteriorate, and that's eventually what killed him. Wow. Um, but, yeah, so a lot of people thought that maybe he was just mm-hmm. this. But the problem was he was – these time, these first sightings of Jimmy happened before he ever had syphilis. Oh. So that's where, you know, that mm-hmm. really conflicts a little bit. Well, and then you're saying the other guy saw it too, so. Right. All right. So that's that story. So the, remember we talked about the faces. Yeah. Subblock four. So I want to tell you the story about that. Because aside from the Capone story, because Capone was the most famous person there, so that makes his story a little more popular. But the first story that anybody talks about outside of Capone is going to be about Gary Johnson. Now, Gary Johnson was a locksmith. He was doing some restoration work at uh, Eastern State back in the 1990s. He was replacing some locks and and, and stuff like that because they were going to do doing some renovations and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So he was just trying to get stuff in, in tip-top shape. So he was working on one of the old blocks in cell block four, and he had one lock that was just giving him fits. Really tough to get open. Once it finally opened, he said it's like it released something disturbing and negative in that cell block. He said he was hit with a blast of cold air that completely paralyzed him. He said he then witnessed all these faces of tormented souls that appeared on the wall of that cell. Oh my God, how scary. So how about that? Uh-uh. I would have passed out right then and there. <laughs> so then you got the paranormal stories um, that, that we're all hearing. Keep in mind that there really weren't a bunch of paranormal stories dating dating back at Eastern State until the 1940s. Even though it was open, you know, in, in, in the 1800s, you know, early 1800s, there really weren't paranormal stories until 1940s. And that's when both guards and prisoners both started to claim that they had experienced some unexplained visions and some unusual uh, experiences there at the prison. So when the pr- prison closed in 1971, rumors of hauntings um, kind of just really went on the increase. And to me, I think that's because, and then we talk a little bit about this with Dina, I think this is because... How do you know things are always going along when you got the workings of a prison going on nonstop? I mean, you got doors slamming, you've got, well, yeah. you know, guards rolling around. It's just, how would you know? You could hear something, you wouldn't know. That no, you wouldn't know the difference. Yeah. But once it was closed in 71 and you got mm-hmm. a limited number of people there, then I think it, yeah. that's when people started realizing. So I think that's the reason there just wasn't a lot of ghost stories before that. So one of the most popular stories here is around the catwalk section of the prison. There's a shadow figure that supposedly is there, and it's been caught on film when Ghost Hunters actually did a show back there some years back. 
So there, that was a big uh, deal on their show was actually catching this channel figures. Many visitors, though, to the prisons have felt extreme temperature fluctuations there, and they've seen shadow figures and captured EVPs on the catwalk. So it is one of the most um, mm -hmm. active, uh, we'll say, sections of the prison. One visitor's EVP seemed to say, in a male's voice, I'm lonely. Oh, Maybe he is lonely. I'm sure he is. So many individuals that have uh, either worked in or explored subblock 12 have experienced giggling, disembodied voices, and shadow figures. Subblock 12 was also restricted part of the prison. So there wasn't a whole lot of access to Subblock 12, but that seems to be a hotbed. Mm -hmm. So our next story comes from a creative director and general manager of the haunted uh, attraction that they have there at Halloween time called Terror Behind the Walls. So just like, you know, Waverly does their yeah. their thing, they do Terror Behind the Walls every year there at the at the uh prison now she said she's worked at eastern state for about 13 years she said she was a skeptic before then and she had her first paranormal experience there at the prison she said she wasn't the kind of person who was hoping to find a ghost or assuming that there were ghosts said it happened on a night that they call mischief night she said it was her and another co-worker they were the left at the end of the night they were cleaning some paintbrushes, and all of a sudden they began to hear noises right in the back of the room. It sounded like somebody was like rubber stamping a paper and then moving it over. You know that sound where like oh, stamp, yeah. move, right. stamp, move. Mm -hmm. That's what it sounded like. She's, then they heard a cup move. She said each of them lasted like 15 seconds each, which doesn't seem like long, but if you're terrified, it <laughs> seems like forever. She said that she learned that night what the term petrified meant because she was frozen stiff. So was her coworker. She said her and her co-worker locked arms and left the building without saying a word. She said they were too scared to talk to each other. Oh, man. Amy works with the actors uh, on, on the haunted attractions as well. And so she gets the occasional ghost stories from some of them. She said, we've mentioned cell block, uh, or, or not she said, you know, I'm just telling yeah. you. We mentioned cell block 12 a little bit earlier. But she was saying that paranormal investigators say that this is this is the hot spot of the entire prison. She had an actor one time say, Amy, I can't work on the top of cell block 12 anymore. Can I move my spot? She asked why, and he said, there's a ghost up there. When I was at the edge of the cell block, it looked like a woman was running right towards me. She was screaming, and when she got close to me, she turned around and ran back. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> So she thought it was weird, but, you know, what the hell, she went ahead and switched the spots. She said she really didn't think much else about it, didn't even ask him anything else about it. But three years later, a completely different actor came to her with a very similar story about the second floor of cell block 12 being haunted. She said the actor said, you'll never believe this, but I think I just saw a banshee. said it was flying down the cell block toward me screaming and then turned back. What are the chances of that? It's the same person? No, it was a different person. No, no, I mean the same person. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was the same person to? that got told to. It was Amy, <laughs> who was the director there. Amy said she had another story. It was about a visitor at the haunted attraction. So she got this letter in the mail. It had a bolt in it, you know, like a nuts yeah. and bolts. Mm -hmm. She said that someone had taken it, and they sent it back with a letter. And the letter said that they regretted taking the bolt, 
because ever since they took it, they've had nothing but horrible luck. So the boat was in a bag with sage. I don't think there was the rest of the ingredients to stove top stuffing, just sage. And I'm sure it cost extra postage. Probably. Because the boat was heavy. <laughs> so they asked the staff if they would please put it back exactly where they found it. <laughs> so there you go. Yo, man, we can never take anything from anywhere. So Amy isn't the only one on staff, though, that's seen some things. So you got James Travis, who's a technical director, and uh, he's had an encounter there. It was in the fall of 2012. It was close to midnight, so Friday night. He says he remembers it being very rainy and windy outside. There was an event that was there that night, and all the guests and the staff had already left, except for him. He was the only one left on the property. Travis said he noticed a very large steel panel that had been um, uh, he had already ordered, mm-hmm. and it was delivered. So he noticed that it came, and it was sitting at the building's gatehouse. So he decided he would go ahead and move it out of the way, and decided to just take it to cell block twelve. He said he was going to just put it inside the gate, and he said the the dolly kept trying to slide out from underneath of it, so <laughs> he had to use both hands to get to get the gate unlocked. That's when he said he suddenly felt a presence behind him. He knew he was all alone, and his first thought was that somebody was up there, and if they were up there, they were up to no good because mm-hmm. there shouldn't be anybody in there at this point. And at that time of night, somebody maybe broke in or something. Well, his first thought should have been, I mean, why did I pick this place of all places to <laughs> deliver this thing? So he turns around. He sees a short man. He said about five foot four, standing just a few feet, few feet away from him. Travis drew back his fist like as he was ready to attack. His heart was beating out of his chest. He then realized that the man was in Civil War clothes and was somewhat translucent. Then he just disappeared. Travis later found out that Eastern State Penitentiary was actually a functional prison during the Civil War, which he didn't know ahead of time. No, he did not so know that. It's very po- it would have been possible for yeah, it could have Civil been... War soldiers to actually oh, be there man, in the so prison. Cool. So then you got some members of the staff who've never seen anything. So it's not, you know, we've told you about a few that have, but then you got some people that's never seen anything. That, isn't that weird? Yep. So Director of uh, Interactivity for Terror uh, Behind the Walls, the the haunted attraction they do there jennifer tomzak she says she's been there for for 14 years says she doesn't believe in ghosts but she does look for them on evenings when she works she says she's never seen anything manifest in a physical form but she does get some odd uh, sensations every now and then she said that she's had her head throb and she's felt really queasy while she was standing in three different locations the warden's office the very back of the klondike which was the hole Mm -hmm. And the, uh, there's a near a pipe closet that's on the second floor death row. She said she openly invites ghosts uh, to kind of take a long walks with her when she's out there. But apparently none of them take her up on it. <laughs> so the question is, is Eastern State Penitentiary haunted? How well, could it not be? That's what I say. So you got Ben Bookman. He's a tour guide. He says it's a lot harder to find a believer here than it is a skeptic. Kind of seems hard to believe. <laughs> yeah. He said, we at Easter State Penitentiary do not claim that the prison is haunted. We run a haunted attraction here, but the staff does not exploit the prison's darker image. Most people make the shows, 
They come in looking for ghosts. That's not the story that we tell. Inmates were real people. These were people's lives. 70,000 people spent their time here. And we're not going to glorify it or make fun of it. 70,000 people. Wow. What an interesting story. It is an interesting story. And a painful story to hear. It's a very painful story to hear. So, that's the story on the Eastern State Penitentiary. Mm. So, let's do this real quick because we got Dina coming up. And she's going to tell us a bunch of cool stuff about uh-huh. Eastern State that we didn't touch on here. But I do want to tell real quick, we've got our Patreon listeners. New ones uh, that signed up this week. Leslie Petty. Roseanne Robertson. Sharon Hoffman. Heidi. And John Applegate. Thank you guys so, so much. Thank you all. I appreciate you so much. I'm going to give a special one to, to Sharon Hoffman. And here's why. You know, Patreon, I love the fact that Patreon gives us an opportunity to make some money and give us a chance to be able to put some extra episodes out to you guys. But they drive me absolutely batty with the stupid decisions that they make. For example, you remember probably six, eight months ago, they went through the whole thing where they were going to start charging extra money just for for part of Patreon, like a fee. And then everybody threw a fit about it, and they decided, okay, we're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. That was the first thing. Well, then they added, like, let's say you go to our tiers. We have a dollar, three dollar, five, ten, and fifteen dollar tiers. Patreon decided on theirself to add, uh, not add, but they gave you an option. So if you signed up for say fifteen dollars and you wanted to do twenty dollars a month, you could do that, Mm -hmm. which was nice. Yeah, it was very nice. And we had several people taking advantage of that. And then three months later, they decided that they were going to completely change that. And you can't do that anymore. And if you were one of those people who was on a $15 tier and signed up for $20, you could still pay your $20, but you wouldn't get all of the the benefits that come along with that tier. So then you had to go back, like, uh, and Sharon was one of them, who had to go back and edit her $20 uh, pledge to $15 to get all that she was entitled to. And she said the same thing I did. That just sounds so stupid that I've got to take, I've got to give you $5 less than I wanted to just in order to get everything that I had coming to me. Yeah, I don't know how they just do that. It's just like, why offer it if you're going to turn around and change it? And then they didn't tell anybody. No, they They just did it. And then we started finding out when people were like, you know, hey, I'm missing two or three of the shorts a week. Mm -hmm. And that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, But, and the reason I'm giving Sharon an extra shout out is not only did she say, well, I felt bad because I went back from 20 to 15 She then pledges another $15 on a different email account and writes me and says, hey, uh, I felt bad about having to cut back, so I had another email address, so I did another. So now she's pledging $30 a month. And Sharon, honestly, we love you right. to death, honey, but you surely didn't have to do and that. And that's what I told her. You didn't have to do no, that not by, at all. by any means. So, but we, I mean, we appreciate you so much, and... Um, you know, I wish they would just quit messing with stuff and leave it the way it's supposed <laughs> right. to be. And, you know, life is confusing enough, but we just did want to say we appreciated that. And by all means, um, you don't have to do that. And we'd mentioned Jim Harold earlier. Jim Harold's help got us racing up the charts again. Yes. We're thank typically you, Jim. in the 30s and the 40s on the iTunes charts. And uh, Jim, when I checked it, we were at 19th. And I got a feeling we probably made it a little higher earlier in the day, mm-hmm. but I didn't check it yeah. in time. But that's thanks to you guys. That's thanks to Jim having us yeah. on and his listeners. So if you're one of Jim's listeners that didn't know about the show and joined up, thank you for uh, helping out. That yeah, was Yeah, thank you. That was amazing. 
iTunes reviews. Hyper Skittles, Karina1009, Tana Goodfry. Goodfrey, Godfrey. Oh, Godfrey. Good Lord. <laughs> Sorry, Tana. Well, she's... <laughs> Sorry, Tana. Well, when she signed up on Patreon, it was just Tana, so I no. didn't have a last name. So we got uh, Paula6062, which is Kristen P., Buccaneer Films, and uh, Jesse's Girls 229. Thank you guys so much Thanks, for Thanks, guys. Doing. Those were some great reviews. I love them. I love them. Keep them coming. Thank yeah, you th- all. Yeah, those for reviews, being so nice. I'm telling you guys, that's the cheapest thing you can do for yeah. us that help us the most. And they've been such nice reviews, and we really appreciate that. Yeah, we haven't had somebody say we need to get rid of Tracy in at least a week. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Mix my, <laughs> what I'm trying to say, my morale's gone up a whole lot. So <laughs> it's funny. It all depends on what you're listening yeah. about. The review that week said get rid of Tracy. And the week before, the review said that uh, I was a dick to Tracy. And that's yeah. why we got one star review because I was a dick and I did treat Tracy better. No, oh, he and treats me like a princess they every have, day. They have no clue that this is this is just all part of the show. Yeah, yeah. So, but we what, love you guys and we really appreciate y'all so much. So let's listen to Dina real quick. Okay, guys. So we got a, a special guest. I couldn't do a Philadelphia story without bringing on uh, the quintessential Philadelphia, I guess you could say, know-it-all. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, my Philadelphia expert is, is uh, obviously always going to be Dina Marie from Twisted Philly. Uh, Dina, thanks for coming on for a little bit. Oh, thank you, my friend. Thanks for inviting me on. So obviously we're doing Eastern State Penitentiary. You've done a story on Eastern State a while back. Heck, it's probably been at least close to a year ago, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a little over a year. And you did a fantastic version of it. I made purposely clear to stay away from that podcast. It's been so long since I listened to it. I didn't want to get too much influence from it. Um, But you've been there. I haven't. I have. And I thought you could shed a little light on um, what you know about the place as far as... um, the feel of it, the eeriness of it. Obviously, we covered all the facts of it, so that's got, you know, most of it. You may have a, a few little deep facts that we probably didn't cover, and you haven't heard the episode yet, so in fairness... I haven't, you but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, in fairness, you wouldn't know if we talked about it or not at this point. <laughs> but tell me a little bit about your thoughts on Eastern State as far as the building. Everybody talks about it. It's very imposing when you come in, just the looks of it, which was, that was the whole purpose of the design. was to scare people from not wanting to ever go there uh, from a you, prisoner standpoint. You're absolutely right. So the guard towers were intentionally designed to look like parts of a castle, but not necessarily the appealing parts. When you think of you know, Rapunzel in a castle with turrets or, or Sleeping Beauty, no, this was designed to be intimidating and to strike fear in the hearts of men in Philadelphia. It does feel like a gothic dungeon when you pull up outside. And where it sits in the city, I mean, the city just built up around this thing. When it was built, there was nothing around it. It was considered outside the city because there was there were very little properties. It was all, it was surrounded by land. And now, you know, there's literally like a bar across the street and a little mini market across the street. So it is right in the heart of Philadelphia in the booming city. And then rising up above all of these, you know, brownstone townhouses and row houses 
is this terrifying looking monstrosity that is Eastern State Penitentiary. Visiting it is an incredible experience. When when you go and, you know, my my recommendation, my favorite thing to do there is to take the daytime tours, uh, which run almost every day of the year, except certain holidays. But it's called the Voices of Eastern State Pen, and it's a self-guided audio tour. You go into the penitentiary. You're given a headphones that attach to, you know, what looked like sort of an old school CD player, although there's no CDs in it. And as you move through the prison grounds, and they give you access to quite a significant amount of the penitentiary, there are numbers throughout the prison. And so you press play and you listen to narration by Steve Buscemi. <laughs> Out of anybody in the world that could do this narration, he is perfect. So you listen to narration by Steve Buscemi, and then after he talks to you about one particular spot, so you start at number one outside, and then he says, when you've finished exploring, press two. So you don't have to move at the pace of the narration. It's it's really designed in a way to educate you, but also give you time to explore. So you could actually spend three, four hours there if you wanted, even though the, the audio tour isn't quite that long. There are some sections of the prison that are off limits because they have um, denigrated so significantly that they're not safe. But the majority of the prison has not been restored. So as you walk through it, you are looking at a space that really time has eaten away in some parts. Um, And what's amazing about Eastern State Penn, and you really get a sense of it when you walk through it, is the isolation. And I'm, and I'm sure you touched about this earlier in the episode. You know, it was truly designed to make people be penitent and promote reformation, um, reduce recidivism. But the inmates never saw one another, ever. They really didn't see anybody. You know, they had the hoods on when they were brought in and out. And so as you walk through the prison and you see their cells, the door to get in from the hallways within the prison is very small. When you look into the cell, you then see a doorway that opens out into a private yard. So even when the prisoners would have time outdoors to exercise, each of them had their own private yard that was probably about the same size as their cell. One of the things that I think that is amazing to me is that when you look in the cells and you can actually go into some of the cells and, you know, some of them are set up like the way they would have been when inmates were there, you know, as, as early as the um, the mid-1800s, there's these massive skylights. So they had light for, for quite a long time during the day. I mean, certainly from sunrise to sundown, depending on the seasons. And you'll go into other cells and literally there is a tree growing up that has grown up through the ground of the cell broken through the wall into another wall. And that's one of the things that I love about Eastern State Penitentiary today is that, yes, I can I can see the history represented, but I can also see what time and the city and the elements have done to this building. Um, there are some interactive experiences, even when you take that self-guided tour. So last year they opened up the medical ward Um, there's different times throughout the day and it's posted in the prison where you can go to the medical ward and you'll receive a guided educational tour by one of the Eastern state Penn staff. It takes about 15, 20 minutes. They do the same thing in what used to be the mess hall. 
And then there's all kinds of special events at Eastern State Penn. And, and one that I found to be really just incredibly compelling was it was called Prisons Today. It's a look at the prison system in modern America and what the rate of incarceration was when the prison opened and throughout the history of the prison. What's the rate of incarceration today in America versus the rest of the world? And what's the rate of incarceration for minorities, especially men, versus um, versus white men? And so there's a lot that Eastern State Penn does besides the history and how creepy it is and how haunted it is. They do a lot to also provide education and to focus on prison reform and to continue driving prison reform in other parts of the state. And so I just I think that's really special about what the team does there. I the last time I took a tour was this summer. I had Denise with me. So Denise is the host of the Spirited Voyager podcast. And we did the staff guided tour of the medical wing. I never realized that some of the best doctors in the city of Philadelphia worked in that medical wing. So unlike a lot of prisons where inmates weren't getting quality medical care, that was not the case at Eastern State Penn. What was so amazing is the young woman who gave our tour started talking about, you know, what do you think about medical care for inmates? Do you think they deserve that? And my response initially was, well, I think in most cases they all do because we're still talking about human beings. And if we've put them in this space, right, we, we have to provide some level of care and she asked that question because she herself was um, had been in prison. And so it was so amazing that here's someone who went through some some rough patches in her life and she got out of jail. She turned her life around and now she works at Eastern State Penitentiary educating people about prison systems and prison reformation. So all of that is part of the daytime tour experience. I focus on that so much because I am terrified of terror behind the walls. So, Jerry, do you know what terror behind the walls is? We do. We talk a little bit about that on the episode. We we have a lot of good stories from uh, the people who work at terror behind the walls. That's the uh, haunted attraction that they run there at Halloween time, correct? It is. And the reason I don't go, well, you and I have talked about this before. I am not a big fan of Halloween haunted attractions, the ones that have masks and costumes and people jumping out at you and trying to scare you. I just, I don't like those. I really don't like it at Eastern State Penn because I do believe that there are aspects of the prison that is haunted. And, you know, it isn't like some of the other places you might hear about, like when we went to Waverly, where people were, you know, mistreated or suffered. I mean, yeah, there was some suffering at Eastern State Penn, but for the most part, I think it was an establishment that that in many ways, at least in its early days, tried to do right by the by the prim- primarily men that were there, but eventually they had women too. But no doubt it's haunted. So now you're really tempting the spirits because now you're going to put <laughs> a fictitious haunted house in a historic prison that's haunted. And most of the experiences that people have there from a haunting perspective are the staff of terror behind the walls. So you know what? That just proves to me you should not be doing this stuff, and I am not going to go there. I'm just not going to do it. You know, while we're on that subject, because you're right, that does seem, and Waverly does the same thing. They have a haunted house there during the the Halloween season also. Um, But when it comes to the the hauntings of of, uh, Eastern State, the hauntings really kind of started being talked about in the 40s but they really picked up after 
the prison was closed. And I'm wondering if it's because when there was so much regular activity going on, it just went unnoticed. And then because there was nothing going on, so any little thing that happened would draw your attention after it closed. Or if it's just because people started glamorizing the hauntings a little more and it made it more prevalent. What would your thought process be on that? I, I think it's a combination of both, although I believe your first statement is is really a, a, a much stronger perspective on it. I would imagine that there were probably activities happening when people were there, but when you've got a building with hundreds of people in it, it's very easy to assume that a noise that you hear or something that's different than you expected is the result of another human being because there were so many people there. And then after it closed, there wasn't anybody around to disturb things. And so if there were spirits lingering, then that's all they knew, you know, and, and maybe they felt that they had more freedom to kind of run around. Certainly in the last 10, 20 years with all of the ghost hunting shows and the popularity of haunted houses, yes, to your point, things have been glamorized. But I also think there are just less people around and it's much more noticeable. It's not something that could be easily masked by, oh, well, that must have been Jerry in the cell next to me. So let me ask you this. When it comes to haunted prisons, you know, you, you've you've looked at several different cases of, you know, whether it be haunted prisons or haunted houses or haunted hospital, whatever the case is, do you feel like that prisons are kind of, um, I guess, an, an entity all of their own just because of people being locked up? I mean, I guess you kind of kind of got to look at um, asylums uh, in a sort because they were almost like prisons of their own for the people that had uh, mental issues. But I think prisons kind of... They, did, they kind of deserve their own category just because I think the people felt like they're prisoners. They can't go anywhere. And if something happened to them where they tragically met their end in that place, now it's like they're locked up here for all of eternity as well. So, I mean, it's it's just different knowing, I think, as a prisoner that you are you have no freedom. So it would be more likely to stick around in the afterlife. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. And I and I think one of the things about Eastern State is um is is the black box that that folks were in in those underground cells. Now they weren't used for the entire time that the prison was there, but you know, you think about somebody spending time in that kind of a space where you're not just in isolation, but you are in total darkness. There's nothing. There's no light. You could put your hand within a few centimeters in front of your face and you can't make out the outline of your hand. You think about what that does to someone's psyche. Could somebody even realize that they've passed on when they're in that kind of a state? So I think I think you bring up a great point. I think it's a very valid point that, you know, when you look at haunted prisons, it's a very different experience for the people that lived there. And like you said, you're you're in a space where you feel trapped and does someone's soul feel that it has the freedom to move on? Does it even know that it can after it's lived in a state of incarceration for so long? What uh, what kind of stories have you possibly heard uh, about hauntings at Eastern State that maybe not everybody else has heard? Maybe something at a local level isn't as popular out there. You so, you know, I, I could mention... Um, there's a there's a guy that was working in cell block four um, 
fixing locks. I don't know if you if you saw that story or not. I don't want to be redundant if you did. We did. We touched on it, but we didn't tell a big detailed story on it. So you might you might actually be able to elaborate on what we talked about. So there was a, a, a gentleman who worked in the prison in the 90s. His name was Gary Johnson, and he was working in cell block four, and it was his job to maintain the old locks. And what's so strange about this is it the story didn't necessarily sound like a haunting. He described what he felt as negative energy that physically gripped him so tightly he was unable to move. And in Gary's words, he said it felt like it exploded. Literally, the energy exploded from the cell and completely surrounded him. And then he claimed to see faces appear on the walls. Now, there's a lot of other stories about cell block four that are, you know, people can find them easily enough. The typical hauntings, right? People hear footsteps when there's nobody there. They hear them along the hallway. They hear them in the catwalk above the cells, again, especially in cell block, cell block four. People hear whispers around the penitentiary. And a few people, and this has not just been staff at Eastern State Pen, but also guests, have reported seeing either a shadow or what they believe was a figure in the guard towers, those those giant towers that look like something out of a, a medieval dungeon when of course there's nobody up there. But, but I think the story about Gary Johnson, the man who was working in cell block four is probably the most disturbing story to me, you know, just a sense of overwhelming despair and negativity that literally in, engulfed him to the point where he couldn't move and he couldn't leave the space where he was working. Yeah, that's, that's pretty spooky to think. And you know, I don't, I don't know this about, uh, Mr. Johnson, but do you know if before that incident, if that's something that uh, paranormal or anything was even something he even believed in or was a skeptic? Do you know anything about about him as far as that goes? I didn't find anything about his beliefs around the paranormal. Um, when I found the information about Gary Johnson, it was more like, you know, he knew the history of Eastern State Penn and he knew that there were some suspected haunting, some suspected paranormal activity. He seemed more like the kind of guy that was like, well, this is where I work. I work in a spooky old prison. I'm just going to kind of come in, go about my day and go home. And, um, and it's, and that didn't happen more than once. And it's, it's not like it was the only day he ever worked in cell block four. Um, he'd been in and out of there before, but on that particular occasion, it was a very different experience that he had. Wow. Dina, you're a sweetheart. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Couldn't do a Philly episode without you. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate you inviting me in. If if you or and Tracy ever ch- get a chance to get up here, you guys know you got a place to stay, and we will definitely do the Eastern State Pen tour. But I'm not taking you to terror behind the walls. I'm just going to tell you that. <laughs> We're going to do that, and then we got to do the uh, uh, Mutter Museum. Yes, very much. Very much so. I'm looking forward to it. Dina, tell everybody how they can find you on social media and your podcast. You can find um, you can find Twisted Philly on Instagram at Twisted Philly. I'm on Twitter at Twisted underscore Philly. And Facebook, it's just the Twisted Philly podcast. And you can listen wherever you listen to Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm on all pa- major podcast apps. And we'll be doing an event live in Houston on, uh, what is it, uh, what is that, May 11th? May 11th. I can't wait for that. Yep, going to be fun. We've got the confessionals going to be there, Sasquatch Chronicles. And uh, it's, it's seems like it's forever away, but it's really not that far when you think about it. It's going to be here before we know it. So I'm really excited. Thank you for inviting me to join you all on that. All right, guys. Thank you so much, uh, Dana. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. All right, guys. That's uh, 
pretty much most of the show tonight. We we kind of wanted to to end on a serious note. We did a story a couple weeks ago on uh, Zach and Addie, which was a horrific story out of New Orleans, more of a true crime story. And at the end of that story, we did um, like another story that kind of went with it. And it involved a young lady, uh, Jaron Lockhart, who was uh, mother and uh, a victim in in another horrific crime similar to what we talked about with Zach and Addie's. Now, that crime, Zach and Addie's crime, you know, took place 12, 13, 14 years ago. Unfortunately, the other crime that we talked about that did have a tie-in was a lot more recent. It was back in 2014, if memory serves me correct. So we're only talking four years ago. And something we never really thought about. And, and, and we did the story very respectful. So there really wasn't much else we could do on that. But we had a very close relative of hers reach out to us and uh, was offended that we told the story. Um, basically just saying it's tough when you have mm-hmm. to relive that over and over and again. And, uh, you know, he, he basically said that we had lost a listener. I I'm not sure if this person listened to the show on a regular basis before that, or uh, if somebody said, hey, they did a story that involved your relative, will you take a, a, a listen to it? And But we talked a little bit back and forth, and, you know, and I apologized for bringing up bad um I guess bad memories on something so recent, but he wanted to point out that, you know, these, these aren't just victims in a story. They're real people. They have parents, they have siblings. And, um, I didn't feel bad because we did the story because I felt like this was a story that has been told. It was news. It was nothing hidden. And I believe we presented it in the right way. And I'm glad we did present it in the right way. Just because we never really thought that a relative of the victim would be listening to even reach out and talk right. to us mm-hmm. about it. Um, do I feel bad, obviously, that somebody had to rehash a memory that maybe they weren't expecting to hear on our show of a, a family member, especially in such a horrific crime? Um, but I just, you know, that we don't deal in a lot of newer crime i mean we deal in some true crime stuff but it's usually a hundred years ago where yeah. you really it's not even an issue um so that's probably something if it's recent we're going to stay away from because i really um i don't want to be in a situation where we cause somebody more pain even if it's by no accident. of course not and we are really really sorry about that so if the any members of the lockhart family uh, are listening to this episode we apologize if uh, we cause any pain uh, for anything that you're still trying to to get over because I know that's a, a lifelong uh, event of trying to heal. And uh, we apologize. If we added to any of that, uh, just know that it wasn't intentional. Um, and hopefully you felt that we did the story as much respect as we possibly could. But we still apologize nonetheless. Amen. We're really sorry about that. So thank you, guys, and we will see you uh, coming up soon. Bye, guys. Hope you have a great week. We love you all. Guys, we know the times are tough right now, and everybody's really busy. It's hard to come up with that perfect gift for that perfect someone. I got the answer for you. Your one-stop shop for all of your Christmas shopping needs, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. What can you get on hillbillyhorrorstories.com? How about a Patreon subscription for that true Hillbilly Horror Story fan on your Christmas list? Or maybe you want to get a shirt or a shower curtain, a mug, or even a hoodie. You can get that in our store on there. 
Or maybe you want to take that certain someone to Bobby Mackey's for an all-out experience with a show and a tour inside of one of America's most haunted places. But hey, you don't have to come to Bobby Mackey's. You can buy all of our event tickets on there. Indianapolis. Soon it's going to be Kansas for the Sally House. All of them are there. Just go to the event page. Any way you slice it, hillbillyhorrorstories.com has something for everyone on your list.